we have been uh, studying about the knowing the heart and uh, we generally we think heart is a very simple thing but in the bible heart is a very complex component in fact it's a it's the uh, control center of man so we saw about understanding the heart how the heart shapes the actions actions shape the heart then we saw reordering desires <clears throat> in our heart uh, is entangled with a web of desires so many desires in our heart sometimes we don't even realize and that's the reason we need to reorder our desires and then we saw about understanding temptation and understanding emotion that's what we are doing right now emotion is something that we have overlooked or we have not paid enough attention just because we don't pay attention it does not mean that our emotions they just disappear they are there they are part of our being and for leading a healthy life we need to pay attention to our emotion and we started studying about the whole person i gave you the example of depression you know it is not a very simple problem it is a very complex problem because man himself is a complex being so bible addresses man as a whole person not just a one component but the whole person then we talked about anxiety the good news about anxiety is you know we can overcome anxiety with all the spiritual resources that are available to us we talked about hope two types of hope we can hope on money worldly things but biblical hope is always based on god trust in god and then we talked about loneliness last wednesday then we said look deeper and we talked about joy and we just started with the next one when we are talking about emotion we have seen the whole person anxiety hope loneliness look deeper and joy and then we just started about guilt and i just introduced the subject saying that guilt and shame are two different negative emotions they are often confused sometimes people think they are same but they are not same but they are two different negative emotions uh guilt is something one experiences alone it's a feeling that you have done something wrong or even you thought something wrong uh, that's how we have guilt uh in other words i have committed a moral transgression i have crossed the boundaries and that makes me guilty now uh keep this in your mind as we go down the line we'll explain it a little further because i said that uh we feel guilty when we realize that we have crossed a moral boundary <clears throat> now shame on the other hand it requires other people now these people can be real 
or it could be in our imagination. We imagine if they come to know or if they know about this. So that produces a sense of shame. Now, I gave you the example that someone who misappropriates money may not feel guilty for the act that he's misappropriating, he's stealing, he may not feel guilty, but he may feel intense shame the moment he's caught because now his deeds have been exposed and now he's being looked at as a criminal, as a thief. And that produces in him a deep sense of shame. Uh, same thing when someone may have an illicit relationship and uh, may feel no guilt at all for that act. But once it is exposed, he may feel intense shame. Uh, so guilt and shame are two different negative emotions. Uh, most people experience guilt and shame from time to time. We all feel guilt and shame from time to time in our childhood days or in our school days, we have all gone through uh, these this phases. Uh, so it varies from person to person. Uh, for some, the guilt may be stronger, for some, shame may be stronger, so it varies. And Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked people are on the run. It's not that behind them, somebody is pursuing them. The, you know, the Proverbs clearly says no one pursues them, but they are just running, running for their life. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. Uh, so what is causing them to run like this? Why do wicked people run like this? You know, this proverb says, though no one pursues. So it could be because the insecurity that many experience is a guilty conscience. They, they themselves, they're insecure. And it is, they feel insecure because of their guilty conscience. And so they are running. They are trying to hide themselves. They're trying to cover up. Uh, the more we lie, the more one, you know, we, we are betraying ourselves, we are deceiving ourselves. Uh, um, you know, I've seen quite often um, young people commit a mistake and then they feel uh, guilty and they try to somehow work it out so that they, they don't feel this guilty conscience. Uh, so that's why the wicked flee, though no one pursues. Uh, <clears throat> and I just talked about the modern relativistic culture. And I said, we see the strange persistence of guilt. It is the strange persistence of guilt that makes the wicked flee. Now, I said, we feel guilty when we cross the moral boundaries. Now, what is relativism is, there is nothing known as a moral boundary. I feel it is right, so I do it. I feel it is wrong, I do it. So uh, I don't do it. So <clears throat> that's what is known as moral relativism. Now, 
earlier I said, when we cross moral boundaries, we feel guilty. But why should these people, when they don't have any moral boundaries, why they should feel guilty? Though they feel, you know, I can decide for myself what is right, what is wrong. It is I who lay those ground rules. So why should they feel? And the sociologist and psychologist, uh, they have come with a strange uh, notion that there is a strange persistence of guilt. Though they inwardly, though outwardly they say that, you know, <clears throat> I don't think this is right, but whenever they cross certain boundaries, unknowingly they feel there is a persistence uh, of guilt and uh, it's been proved. People, they feel, uh, you can see that CEOs and others who are misappropriated or had um, illicit relationship and all that. Uh, there are there are humpty number of examples where they commit suicide. Uh, so this is all because there is a persistence of guilt. It is that guilt that they carry. Though outwardly they say that, you know, I if I think this is right, I can do it. But heart of heart, they feel that there is something wrong. Uh, it is important to realize that the moment we remove from our vocabulary words like Satan, sin, and evil, you know, sometimes people say, you people talk about Satan, you people talk about sin, you people talk about evil. You know, you people are always negative. Uh, Christians are always negative. You talk about Satan, you talk about sin, you talk about evil. Now, okay, you remove these categories of Satan, sin, evil from our reference. Okay, I don't believe in Satan, I don't believe in sin, I don't believe in evil. Okay, just because I have removed Satan, I have removed sin, I have removed evil from my reference point or from my mind, it does not mean there is no cruelty in this world. It does not mean there is no violence in this world. It does not mean there is no abuse of power in this world. It does not mean there is no exploitation in this world. Now, how do you account for it? If, if we say there is no Satan, there is no evil, there is no sin, then why so many people are suffering? Why there is so much of discrimination? Why there is so much of hatred? Why there is so much of violence? Why there is, you know, people want to kill, eliminate the complete race? Why? So just because we think it's comfortable to our mind, convenient to our mind, I don't want to talk about Satan. I don't want to talk about evil. It doesn't mean that it is not there because right before our eyes, we can see all that's happening and how do we account for it? So when we try to say that there is no Satan, there is no evil, there is no sin, what we are trying to do is we are just giving that evil their fertile ground to breed. 
evil is very happy devil is very happy you said there is no devil he is very happy but he is just you know he he you know in a, in a very very subtle manner devil is always injurious he is not there to prosper us he is there only to destroy us but the moment i say i don't believe in evil i don't believe in devil it doesn't mean that i am free from evil or satan it is there it is there in my flesh and i have not given a good breeding center for devil to prosper and evil only grows uh, it is not that we can control or we can have dominion over evil so it is very important just because people say i think this is right so i'm going ahead it doesn't make sense at all if that does, if it makes sense then this verse doesn't make sense the wicked flee though no one pursues the wicked initially thought what i do is the right thing who are you to tell me and he went ahead and did whatever he wanted to do now nobody is pursuing him but he is fleeing that is the nature of evil and that is what it is mentioned that even in our modern relativistic culture in in other words relativism uh, nowadays in all advanced societies they they don't talk about they don't like to talk about god they don't like to, like to talk about moral rules they say what you think you do if it's convenient for you you carry on so nothing is right or wrong it's a question of convenience but in the midst of that culture there is still that strange persistence of guilt now <clears throat> we whenever we decide to say this is right this is wrong it doesn't make it right or wrong we should be very clear you know we should we should uh, we should teach our children it's not what you think right on what basis do you think it is right that's what we need to teach our children if you teach our children what you think is right you do uh, that will not be it's it's incomplete instruction complete instruction is why do you think it is right why do you think it is wrong on what basis do you say this so we should always give a basis a reference point to for, to our children and for even for ourselves we should have that basis a strong basis a moral milligram of sin is more harmful than 100 kgs of suffering <clears throat> while we focus more on our suffering on we tend to ignore our own simple need so it is just that little bit of sin in us is more harmful than and in surmountable amount of suffering that is less harmful than little bit of sin that is lurking in our body in our flesh and we should be we should deal with the sin that's what the proverb says the wicked flee though no one pursues 
The righteous is the one who is dealing and he has dealt with his sin. And so he's as bold as a <clears throat> lion. Now, <clears throat> people said, you know, all this religion and all is bogus. It is only, uh, you know, it, it, is, it makes our life very difficult. What we need is science. We, you know, if science is the answer to all our problems, but the problem with science is modern science, though it is highly advanced, it cannot instruct us how to live. In fact, scientists themselves, you know, they struggle with their own life. So science cannot tell us how to live because science cannot give us a purpose. Science cannot give us meaning. Science cannot teach about morality. What is good, what is right, science cannot teach. So just because we are living in, uh, in an advanced technological environment, that, is, that does not give us any answer to our existential problems. Uh, so we should always keep in mind, if we look to our mobile and our laptop for solutions, they may, they, it's convenient, it's comfortable, but they cannot answer our life's problem. The why, what is the meaning? Is there a meaning in my life? Why am I here in the, in the first place? Why am I here? What is the purpose? What is my end? So all these questions science cannot answer. And, and further, when I feel guilty, science cannot relieve my pain. Uh, when I feel more and more guilty, all the advancement cannot, all the technological advancement cannot release me from this pain. So we need to be clear that we need to have a strong moral framework. That is the reason, That'll, that's what will make the righteous to stand as bold as a, a lion. Now, guilt is something <clears throat> we, we, we have to deal with guilt. Uh, there are certain professions, uh, I don't know how many of you are aware, you know, we, um, we, there are certain professions where people are heavily burdened with guilt. <clears throat> For example, uh, you know, the best doctors, despite doing their best, when they feel that their patients are no more, they somehow they feel a sense of guilt, though it's not their mistake, though they know very well they have done their best, but still they feel a sense of guilt. Uh, that's why it's a very noble profession, and that's why it's important for us to recognize, uh, you know, the teachers and pastors and doctors were all honored in our society. Off late, that's all lost until you know people had to face with COVID-19. Then they started remembering doctors 
and nurses. Till such time, they never even remembered doctors and nurses. But you need to realize the kind of work they do, uh, they are under immense pressure. Uh, they do their best. And quite often, if they, are, if they don't have good, uh, you know, good circle of friends with whom they can share and they can talk, uh, many doctors, they undergo the sense of guilt. Uh, of course, for no mistake of theirs, their profession itself is like that. Uh, so we, we have to study and understand this guilt in a, in a, in a you know, we have to look at the subject uh, deeply. Now, guilt is heavy. Uh, you cannot erase guilt just like that. So a price has to be paid for the guilt. And that's the reason the son of God had to come to this world and die on the cross. Unless we understand the transaction that has taken place on the cross, the blood that was shed, the body that was broken, and till we see that bloody body, and till we realize the price that was paid for our sin, uh, we will not be able to deal with our guilt. And the more we look at the cross and more we see the gory, gory nature of that death, uh, we will not be able to deal with our guilt. And the more we understand this cross and we relate ourselves with what has happened on the cross, and it is this transaction that gives us, frees us from the sense of guilt because we all struggle mightily with the sense that there is something wrong with us, that we are not who we should be. You know, we feel bad. We feel, I don't think this is the kind of person I should be. I don't think I have been created to be like this. So unknowingly, we feel there is something wrong with us. And we are not supposed to be like this. That's the reason Paul says, though I want to do good, somehow I end up doing wrong. So that's, he's dealing with his inner life. The Bible says this kind of sense comes, uh, the Bible calls it as a repressed knowledge that we are sinners. You know, the moment we, we say that, you know, I am the one who will decide what is right, what is wrong. Basically, what we are trying to do is we are trying to repress this sense of guilt. And um, in Romans 1.18, it says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Uh, the more we look deep within ourselves, we can understand and see what God has done for us. And that's the reason in this Proverbs, we says, the wicked flee, though no one pursues. What makes him flee? It is his guilty conscience. 
but the righteous as, are as bold as a lion. It doesn't mean the righteous, they have never committed a mistake or never committed a sin, but they have this assurance, the forgiveness of sins. They're able to go to the cross, confess their sins and receive that righteousness. The, and we need to do it on a daily basis. Uh, we need to confess and we need to receive this forgiveness from God. So those who have their clear conscience toward God, you know, I have come and I have confessed, I have told everything to God. You know, they are bold. They don't have to worry. They are as bold as a lion because we know we can be bold because our sins are covered by grace, not by our deeds, not by our merit, but our sins are covered by grace. And that's the reason that we can be bold as a lion. The moment we fear people, the moment we fear authority, there is something wrong that we are trying, you know, there's something we are trying to hide. So that's the reason. But once we are clear, our conscience is clear, we'll be bold as a lion. Psalm says in Psalm 32:1, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. You know, these are amazing verses in the Bible. Uh, we need to internalize this. We have to personalize this and we need to receive it. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And the moment our transgressions are forgiven, the guilty conscience will not pursue us. You know, I, the wicked flee though no one pursues because his, wicked, his guilty conscience is pursuing him. Uh, once we have received forgiveness, the, the, our wickedness, our guilty conscience does not pursue. Instead, in Numbers 32, 23, it says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord and you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Uh, in the department, in, in the criminology department, you'll always find people after committing a murder, they go and try to hide and all that they do, ultimately somehow they are caught because their sin will find them out. But for those whose sins have been forgiven and when the Lord is, the Lord is their shepherd, they can say, surely your goodness and love will follow me. It's not my guilty conscience, but your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We should be very, very clear and this should be precious to us that the Lord Jesus can cleanse us of any stain and guilt. We don't have to live with guilt. He can cleanse us of any stain. That's the power in the blood of Jesus. We don't have to feel guilty. If you want our emotions to be healthy, we need to deal with our feelings of guilt and we should tell ourselves the blood of Jesus has power to cover my guilt, to cleanse my guilt. Uh, when people don't confess the things, they know they have done wrong. They overwork and overcome it because they are trying to atone for their sins. 
you know, this is something that, you know, people suppose somebody is misappropriating money and initially may find, okay, no one knows about it. But in due course of time, he realizes, I think somewhere somebody knows that person may not be knowing at all, but he feels, oh, I think this has come out. And so they try to overwork. Uh, people in an illicit relationship, they try to do the same thing. Or they initially, they feel no one knows, but then the guilt pursues them and they overwork and overcome it. Somehow I should set it right. I should make it all right. And they overwork and overcome it. And they feel that they can atone for their sins, which is, which is not possible. But the straightforward person like the lion has no need to look over his shoulder because goodness and love pursue them. Guilt, guilt is a very strong feeling. And to be healthy, we need to deal with our guilt. Now, the next one is God's scales. Uh, I said that in the modern day culture, uh, people think that, uh, you know, it is, I am, I am the one who's going to say what is right, what is wrong. Uh, that's how they think, but they forget about God's scales. Proverbs 21 to two says, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. You know, this, it's so plain. If you, if you read this verse with the previous verse, a wicked pursue, a wicked flees, though no one pursues him. And you see here, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now, if I say, I know what is right. I know what is right. I know what is wrong. What is the problem with this argument? I said in the modern culture, people say that you don't have to tell me what is right, what is wrong. It is I who decide what is right, what is wrong. Uh, now, what is the problem with this argument or with this very line of thinking? Self-righteousness or overconfidence of self. Self-righteousness and overconfidence in themselves. Okay. Besides that. Everybody sets their own standards, Pastor. Like, there is no uh, uniform moral code or something. Like Everybody can do what they want and justify. So the problem is you have different moral codes and then we have clash and there won't be uh, peace in the society, okay? Okay, what else? We said after these moral codes, uh, depending on us, 
which is which may not be right in God's eyes. Okay, uh, we cannot set, and it's not right in God's eyes. Uh, when we think uh, that we can decide what is right, just, and true, you know, we should realize we are just human beings. We are created beings, and we cannot define what is right or wrong. It is only God who can decide what is right or wrong. Uh, that's a, it is only God who can say this is right, this is wrong. Human beings don't have that authority to decide what is right and what is wrong. And the day they decide what is right, what is wrong, then they become God. So as children of God, we should tell ourselves repeatedly, I am not God. I'm only a created being. What is right or wrong is what God says. That's what determines what's right or wrong. And that's what happened right in the beginning, right in the book of Genesis, we read what happened when they took into their hands that they are going to decide what is right and wrong. And that's where the, you know, the fall happened. So we have also seen a similar proverb like this earlier. Here we see a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. And we have seen this proverb earlier, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. You know, to our eyes, it might look like pure gold. We might be thinking what I'm doing is absolutely right. But the Bible says motives are weighed by the Lord. Uh, that, that's, we are living in a difficult time because you, know, you cannot tell your friends, your colleagues, uh, you know, how to live. You are not there to tell them what is right, what is wrong. Uh, and you cannot tell them, you cannot define what is right and wrong. But we are living in an environment like this. I realize, especially those who are in the corporate um, world, but we need to be very clear that it is our God who says what is right and what is wrong. Now, though these people say that you are no one to tell me what is right, what is wrong, at the same time, the very same people, they criticize their boss or their colleagues and they say, see this man, how greedy, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's showing favoritism. And they say, see how cruel. You know, if, if the people who say, you know, I can do whatever I think is right, then they have no right to pass a moral judgment on others. It is a contradiction. You cannot say at one place that what I think, I think this is right, I'll do it. You know, you are no one to set standards for me. And at the next, at the, at the, very, at the very next moment, if they criticize somebody, they're basically, they're contradicting themselves. So we cannot live in the midst of contradictions. We need one standard and God alone has that. Um, justice as one set of scales and it is God's. 
when we talked about hope, if you remember, I said there are two types of hope, the natural hope. One can hope on money, wealth, position, health, but that is natural hope. Biblical hope is based on uh, God, trust in God. But justice, there is only one, one set of justice and it has only one set of scales and that belongs to God. He alone weighs every heart. So because God weighs every heart, the lesson that we learn is we should not trust our moral instincts. We should keep evaluating our own instincts. You know, we should not think, oh, I am right. Uh, you know, quite often I've always gone through this phase. I thought I'm right. Then, you know, as you think and you ponder, then you realize, oh my goodness, you were totally wrong. I was totally wrong. I'm sure that we all have had experiences like this. So we should not trust in our moral instincts and say, I'm totally right. What I'm doing is right. We have to be careful. Uh, we have to be well guarded in our steps, in our directions. And it quite often happens with religious people who know a few verses by heart. Uh, they can speak with authority, but they don't realize as human beings, we should be very, very careful because it is the Lord who weighs our motives. So we need to keep looking for our instincts and motives through study and prayer. It is God's word. As we study the word, we should ask God, let me encounter you in this word. You know, the Bible says all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking. How often we have been rebuked by the word of God as we study. Correcting. The word of God is meant to correct us. And training in righteousness. So as we do our daily devotion, it should be an occasion when the word of God ministers to us. How does it minister to us? I have a problem, so I have been ministered. That's not the only work of the word of God. The word of God is a double-edged sword. So it should teach us. It should rebuke us. It should show our heart. It is not we are studying about Abraham's life. In other words, we are seeing our own heart condition as we study Abraham's life or David's life. It is not David's story. It is also reflecting our own heart condition. And we need to be aware and the Bible should teach us and correct us. And that can only happen when we read the word of God and we, and we pray and we ask yourself. Uh, so are you too quick to ascribe good motives to yourself? Uh, if you are in that category, probably you need to take a step back and you need to ask yourself, it is God alone who knows our motives. So we need to be careful uh, because the moment we tend to think what I think is the right thing, no one else can think like me. I have decided and I know it is right. So that way we may go wrong. So.
That is about God's scales. The next one is the crushed spirit. Uh, Proverbs 18.14 says, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. How beautiful and lively is the Bible. Eh? The human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. So basically the Bible is teaching us the emotional and physical health are integral and important. Both emotional and physical health are important and they are interrelated and Bible deals with human beings like that, the emotions and physical health. Uh, the Bible sees both of them as interrelated, they're interconnected. Without physical well-being, life is hard. Uh, when there is pain, when there is uh, discomfort, life is hard. But without any joy, it is unbearable. So the spiritual health is all the more important. The emotional health is all the more important. We may have physical well-being, but if our emotional health is not good, life is unbearable. So. Do you agree with this statement? If yes, then what is the implication? Do you agree with the statement first? And if you think, yes, I agree that the emotional health and physical health are interrelated, then what is the implication? Agree, Pastor. Uh, I, I think many times we focus on physical health more than mental health, like in this current world, like everybody goes to gym and all that stuff, but uh, mental health is not given so much of uh, priority. But I think uh, to be completely healthy, we need to focus on both and uh, give both equal priority, Pastor. Yeah, thanks, Roshan. Uh, you know, there is nothing more important than maintaining your inward spiritual life. You know, physical health is important, but it is not more important than spiritual life. Uh, the spiritual life is more important because if our inner being is strong, uh, we can go through uh, even sickness, even challenges. We can go through that. But if our inner being is weak, uh, very slight, you know, setbacks in hell, you know, we will become depressed, we'll become anxious. So what is important? If we agree with the earlier statement, the implication is that what is important is inner life, the inner spiritual life. You know, a broken body can be sustained with difficulty by a strong spirit. Serious sicknesses, you can face it by a strong spirit, but a broken spirit cannot be sustained by even the physically strongest person in the world. Once your spirit is broken, then your health or the strength of the body cannot help him. So it is important, we need to have a strong spirit. Why I'm trying to stress is 
we are always taught that our happiness is based on external things, beauty, health, money, status. Uh, that's the way our culture also promotes and recommends and uh, applauds that whoever has money, whoever has status, whoever has health, beauty, you know, you have beauty show, all that is what? Basically it is trying to promote, but our happiness is not based on external things. It is based something uh, deep within us. Uh, you know, he, when we take this stance and when we believe in this, that our happiness is based on external things, uh, you know, when what we are being told is, no, it has nothing to do with your, uh, what the verse says, the verse says, the human spirit can endure in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. So Proverbs 18, 14, it says, the human spirit can endure uh, in sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Uh, so what the Proverbs is teaching us is, you know, your happiness is not dependent on your outward circumstances. You can be happy even outside when everything you know, is broken. Happiness is determined by how you deal with your circumstances from inside, how you process, how you address, how you view them. Happiness is not all the external circumstances because people think it is my external circumstances which determine my happiness. And so they always struggle. We have no control over our circumstances. You and I have no control over our circumstances, about our future, what's going to happen. We have no idea. You know, COVID-19 at least has taught us how fragile we are, how uncertain we are. And our very being is uncertain. Our very environment is shaky. But happiness is not determined by the circumstances. It is how we deal with these situations and circumstances. You know, that's what the Bible says, that the human spirit can endure in sickness. It can endure battleground. It can endure COVID-19. It can endure sickness. But a crushed spirit who can bear. Your, our inner life is more important than anything else. You know, when that's the reason we talk about forgiveness. Why do we talk about forgiveness? You know, when someone you care about hurts you, a person to whom you have held, you have been so close and that person hurts you. Now you can hold on to anger. You can hold on to resentment. And you can even think of taking revenge. But the other alternative is you can extend forgiveness and move forward. It is all happening in your inner being. And if you are wise enough, you forgive, not for the other person's sake, for your sake. Because when you forgive, you become healthy. Nobody is asking to forget the incident. When you forgive, you only remove the sting from that incident. 
and you are actually healing yourself. And that is why it is very important that we deal with our inner being. But when we are talking, you know, how can I forgive? I have been so good. We should always realize we have also hurt people by our words and by our actions. Not knowingly, even unknowingly we have hurt. We are human beings. We are fallen beings. So we are not perfect. And we need to accept that reality and extend forgiveness so that we can lead a healthy life. All that we can say is we can keep praying. Oh God, let me not be enslaved by my circumstances. Let me not think if I have these things, I can be happy. But Lord, let my hope and my rest, uh, let my hope and my trust be in you and you alone, oh Lord. Unless we come to that situation, because our circumstances are very volatile, they can never be the same. Uh, some, sometimes things goes according to our wishes or our expectations, and sometimes totally, totally against our expectations. So our circumstances cannot make us happy. So we need to realize it is our trust in God which makes us happy. And that's the reason the proverb says the human spirit can endure in sickness. Within the bracket, you can put all your challenges. When it says in sickness, you can put all your external circumstances, the uncertainty in job market, uncertainty in stock market, uncertainty in relationship, broken relationships. You know, life is difficult. We are living in a broken world. But if the inner spirit is strong, <clears throat> if we rest in God, we can face all this because nothing happens in our life without God's approval or God's knowledge. So what we learn, you know, as we have learned that, you know, the crushed spirit, what we learn, we are talking about happiness. The next what we learn is happiness is a choice. Uh, happiness is a choice. So how do you define a happy heart? Now, remember, in the Bible, when we talk about heart, uh, it, is, it is not just our emotions. It is our trust. It's our attitude. You know, in the very first day, we were talking about the uh, anthropology of heart. We were uh, human beings, how human beings are made of heart, spirit, soul. We have studied that. And in the Bible, heart is... You know, heart is the place where we have trust, where our attitude, if our attitude is right, uh, I can do this Bible study with the wrong attitude. So just what I'm doing, it, is, it doesn't make it holy. How I do it, that's what makes it holy. So we have to be careful about our attitude. Uh, you know, the happy heart is the discerning heart. A heart that can discern what is important, what is less important. A discerning heart. You know, the heart always moves towards the desires of the world. And that's what we studied in the reordering the desires. 
So our priority should be right. A happy heart is the discerning heart. We may not get everything we want. Our life will not move the way we dream, but we should discern and we should know the God in whom we trust. He's a good God. He's a good, good father. So we have to be, the heart has to be filled with wise convictions. You know, it is not what I feel right or wrong. It is what God says. Whether the Bible says this is right or wrong, the word of God says this is right or wrong. So we, we have to have convictions. So at the right moment, we will be able to stand on our convictions. And we have to make wise commitments, wise choices. Uh, sometimes people, uh, good people, uh, believers, uh, you know, they, they don't believe in making wise choices. Uh, we should realize that God has given us the privilege of making a wise choice. God will not force us to do something. And we should make wise choices. That's what is known as wise commitments. Uh, why I want to do this? Why should I have this relationship in the first place? So wise commitment is very important. If you have a discerning heart, if you have, if our hearts are filled with wise convictions, and if we make wise choices, definitely we will enjoy a happy heart. That's the reason Proverbs 15, 13 to 14 says, a happy heart makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. That's the reason we said the happy heart is the discerning heart because the discerning heart seeks knowledge. The Bible commands us grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the discerning heart seeks knowledge and it makes wise convictions. And that's where we have a happy heart. Once you have a happy heart, that makes the face cheerful, but heartache crushes the spirit. So the wise heart always leads to cheerful, emotions. One can pretend as though he's happy, but it will not be long lasting. You know, you can make out, uh, you know, what is in his heart. So the heart has to be cheerful. The foolish heart will always lead to crushed emotions or crushed spirit. We have already seen the importance, you know, what are the drawbacks of a crushed spirit? So the foolish heart will lead to crushed emotions. So basically it means happiness is a choice. It is a choice. And off late, you have happiness classes. Uh, even in the government of India, in the school curriculum, they want to add the subject happiness. So happiness is a choice. To some extent, they're right. Uh, because it's a choice. If you, you can choose to be happy, you can choose to be crushed in your spirit. Both are your own choice, whatever you choose to do. So happiness is a choice. 
our hearts and attitudes, not the circumstances are decisive. The moment you say that, if my situation improves, I can be happy. Uh, you are basically looking to the circumstances to make you happy. It is our thoughts and attitudes. We have no control over our circumstances. God takes us through the darkest valley. God, the Bible never says that you will not go through the darkest valley. But as we go through the darkest valley, we need to examine our thoughts and attitudes. And they are decisive to make us happy. So we should realize the heart affects both a person's outward appearance and his inward spirit. If you want a strong inward spirit and you want to have a cheerful face, then we need to tend our heart. Uh, that's why I said a gram of sins is more harmful than 100 kgs of suffering. Sin, you know, little bit of sin, not even huge. That little, little bit of bits of sin, it affects our inner being. So we need to take care. We don't condemn ourselves. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it doesn't mean that we don't introspect and deal with our inner life. So it is the word of God. As we read the word of God, the, you know, the, the very function of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sin. And we, we should thank God when we are convicted. You know, we, we should thank God when the Spirit of God guides you, don't do this. And, and it's always beautiful, the Spirit of God, when it guides us. And when the Spirit of God says, it's not right. And the more sensitive we are to the Holy Spirit, the more guidance we will receive from the Holy Spirit about our attitudes. Because we tend to think we are always right. The other person is wrong. So since we have that tendency, we need the help from the Holy Spirit to help us realize that we are not right all the time. So the more we take care of our heart, it's like a garden. You know, our life will be like a beautiful garden. So how can we be, become happy? If happiness is a choice, how can we become happy? We need to keep, you know, we need to have a renewed mind. That's what is meant by reflect with our mind. You know, the gospel should appeal to our mind. When we say we are a gospel-centered church, the gospel message should appeal to our mind. It should renew our very way of thinking and it should fire our imagination. It could be through art, it could be singing and worship. You know, it is, it is just every aspect of our being should be influenced by the gospel. Uh, that's why we say a gospel-centered life is when the gospel message sinks in more and more and more and more and more and more. It is so precious and it is so glorious. And when it starts sinking in, 
that's where we understand the reality of what Jesus has done for us. You know, it is not just a one-time sinner's prayer and then we have got out of it. No, it is just the beginning point. We need to grow more and more and more. God is a gracious God. That's why the Bible says we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So all our being should be filled with the gospel, with what Jesus has done for us. So the discerning heart always seeks knowledge. Why we are studying the word of God? Why are we coming for the Bible study? Because you all have the discerning heart that seeks knowledge. And that's, that makes us happy. The more we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, it makes us happy because circumstances cannot make us happy. It is internally, you know, we need to experience this happiness. But the, what the fool does is, you know, he finds his corrupt nature gratified by feeding on folly. He keeps thinking about all false things and he, feel, he enjoys it. Uh, he, he enjoys, he doesn't realize it's going to lead him to destruction. And one day the wicked, you know, he knows that he has to flee. The wicked flee, though no one pursues him. So that's what that will be his life journey. Okay. Uh, the next thing we'll talk about is self-control. Uh, we will do that uh, next Wednesday. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, you can ask. Is it clear or? Yes, Pastor. <clears throat> Thank you. Any any doubts you have? Okay, uh, no doubts. We'll just look to the Lord in prayer. Glorious Father, we thank you, Lord, for ministering to us. Oh God, you want all of us to lead a happy life. Give us the grace, strength to deal with our own guilt feelings, oh Lord. And help us not to be God over our situations, but to always realize you are God and we are only created beings, oh Lord. Above Father, teach us to tend our spirits, oh Lord, to keep our spirits strong in the midst of all the challenges and all the setbacks that we face in our lives because you are our God and you have rescued us. And Lord, our eyes will be always on you, O oh God. And Lord, let our happiness radiate and let it become contagious in this broken world. Bless each one of us. I pray, Lord, this word will produce 30, 60, and 100-fold harvest for your glory and for your honor. Bless all of us with good health. Be with us through the rest of the week and let your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people say, Amen. 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 Amen.